0: Every one of us has certain primal needs, needs of first importance. Some of them are physical, you know, there's things we have to have. But the more important ones are not physical. They're, however you want to define it, but something within us has needs for things that that make our life work. We have needs for security, and we have needs to know at some level we belong somewhere, and one of the more primal needs is a need for significance, the need to believe that our life actually mattered, that it wasn't simply a matter of moments that we passed or got through, but that our feet were actually planted on this earth in such a way that it made a difference, that it somehow our life was relevant and of significance. This is a primal need, and people may argue where it comes from. I will say that with my assurance that it comes from how God framed us. It's how he made us. He made us to matter. He made us for purpose. And so when we lack it, something is deeply off in our lives. Calling is about significance. And it's why this subject is both, I think, terribly important, but at some level difficult. And in the last four weeks or so, Kurt and I have struggled to do two things at the same time. One is to follow our outline You know, we got a nice outline there. In a couple weeks, you are probably going like, so how does that fit? It didn't. Because as we're trying to follow our outline, we're also trying to listen to what you all are saying. And, And we're getting voices coming into us both saying, this is really important and this is helping me, but what about this? And so because our goal is not to deliver five messages that we go, wow, that was nice, huh? Our goal is to actually make this helpful, for this to be equipment for living, for how you grow and how you can actually get in touch with living a life of significance, believing that's what you were made for, and believing that it's possible, and believing that it's very difficult to actually have, this series feels important. You see, it's no... I guarantee you, you have a need for significance. I cannot guarantee you'll ever meet that need. I mean, that's just the reality. It's its a fairy tale to say that everybody gets what they need, that everybody lives a life of significance, that everybody knows and feels loved. That, that's a fairy tale. It's possible. But the question is, will we live a life of significance? You can get to the end of your days and discover you didn't. And so what I want to do today, I'm going to lead up to Empowered. It'll be the, really the back end of the message. I'm going to walk through a, a couple of ways I think that we can miss a life of significance. And one of them is by not believing we have the power for it. But I'm going to walk through a couple others to sort of lead us through some of the questions you in the community have been asking us and to give a fuller picture of this you're made for significance. You have that basic need. Why do we miss it? Well, one reason we miss it, we miss living a life of significance is because we we think it's found in places where it's not. We often equate significance with how other people see me. People's view of me, what they think of me, we equate to significance and then we that that need is then dominated by things like, quite honestly, sex and money and power and position. And we falsely think that if I, you know, live a life of where people think I'm attractive and I have sexual conquests then I I somehow matter. And we discover that it actually didn't give us significance. Or we think that if other people think I'm powerful, look at me. If they look at my position or the the, the power I wield over others, then that will give me significance. But it doesn't. It just means we have power. It doesn't mean it matters at any level. Or if I have money, if I can measure my my house, my car, my bank account against others, and it's higher, I'm in a comparative business, I'm higher than someone else, then then surely my life matters, but of course it doesn't. Now, when you lay this out, anyway, analytically, you see why it's not true. What, What in the world would how much money I have have to do with whether my life mattered? What in the world would what some people thought of me have to do with whether I made any difference in the world around me? There are smoke screens. That's why there are midlife crises, because people get to whatever they define at midlife, you know, anywhere from 35 to 50, I guess. I think I'm getting out of the range, so I don't have to worry about that. I can can have a late-life crisis. But they have midlife crises because at some point we look around and we got the things we thought that would make us feel significant, and we don't. And we have no other answers, so we just grab for something else. A new this, a new that, a new new wife, a new car, a new whatever. It's a never-ending chase for significance because significance isn't found in those things. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not saying that sex, money, or power are bad by any level. I'm just saying they don't equal significance. Significance is found in being connected to a transcendent cause. We find significance... When that which we invest in has an impact greater than ourselves. When it's invested in something that actually matters, that transcends us. That's where significance is found. And quite honestly, when we get to the end of the day, there's not many places where there are transcendent transcendent meaning. There's transcendent meaning in people and in God and really nowhere else. At some point, we can grasp that. We can go, okay, I think I got it. I think I got it. That having a role in a transcendent cause a way of impacting other people's lives for great good, for seeing them discover a fullness of a relationship with God, for seeing them discover beauty and peace and joy, and and for them to discover significance. If I can do that, then life is well lived. So maybe we get the first question down. Okay, I, I put aside the, the, the fairy tale that sex, money, or power is going to make my life significant, and I realize that it's being engaged in a transcendent cause, but then the second question erupts, which often can make us miss a life significance, which is, so what's my calling? I believe there are transcendent things. I believe it actually matters for people's lives to be changed, but what about, what's my calling? How do, it, how do I know if I'm in it? What if I'm in it and I don't even know it? What if I'm not in it and I think I am and I should be shifting somewhere else? H- how do I know when I'm called? Well, if you have that question, how do I know if I am if I found that niche, that role in the world for which you are fashioned? Way back in week one, we said what, what a, a calling is is me accomplishing something for which I was fit, for which I was made. If you wonder whether or not you found that or how you discover that, I would encourage you with this. We are looking at this brief section of Moses' life where he is called by God and he is asking question after question. He's confused about his calling and understand all of his questions come after seeing God appear to him in a burning bush and speak directly to him about what he's supposed to do. And he's confused about calling. So I feel okay. I haven't had a single burning bush Speak to me. Calling's not simple. You know, we joke around our s- staff, I think they're joking, that I—I I nuance is my thing. I, I think few things are as direct as we think they are. But sometimes I know what you would like me to do is go, here's how you get in your calling. It's right here. Just It's four points. Just follow those and... Everything will be fine. Whenever you question, you pull it out and you go, uh-huh, check, uh-huh, check. No, oh, okay. Change that and I'm, all, I'm off and running. It just isn't that easy. Because calling is not about a job. It's not your occupation. Calling is you. Calling develops when we understand who we are and out of that we're able to ask the question, God, where do you want me to engage the world around me. The difficulty with that is, perhaps the hardest question we ever answer is, who are I? Who who are I? Who am I? Who are you? Who are we? It's one of the more difficult questions to answer. Who am I? We know lots of stuff about lots of things, but often we don't know a thing about ourselves. For lots of reasons, because we have the idealized self, we have the person what we'd like to be, we have the person that other people think we are, we have the person that didn't, you know, like the, the version of the... Jewish-Catholic mother inside of us telling us who we ought to be. And then at some point, there's all oh, there's this other thing which is actually us. Oh, there it is. But it's hard to find. Here's here. Write this down. If you ever figure out who you are, calling's easy. Because it fits. You, you know it. But discovering who you are, that's the key. And what I want to do is I want to walk through, hopefully this will be helpful, you can tell me later, I want to walk through some examples of people who I think have found their calling, and it's not quite the way we normally think of it. Again, calling is not job, it's not taking a personality test or a skills assessment. Those things can help you discover some things about yourself, but it isn't that simple. For example, I have a, I have a friend, a long, long-time friend who's a musician. He's a very talented musician. He's a jazz musician. And he has gone through different iterations of his life. I, I think he's called to do music. I think that's who he is, but it hasn't always equated to his job. In fact, a lot of times it hasn't. He has at times played in, in, in bars, you know, late at night and among people who are absolutely trashed and couldn't tell jazz from whatever. And there are times though that he felt called to be there. He he knew as he was connected with God and understanding who he was, he knew that's where he was supposed to be. And other times he wrestled. I mean, there were were hour-long conversations. And you know how how hard it is for me to sit still for hours long anything. We had hours-long conversations about, should he he keep playing there or should he not? And there was no piece of paper I could pull out to saying, oh, let's see, jazz musician, age 31, you're supposed to do this. Because at different points in his life, God took his calling as a musician— and changed how it was applied. Sometimes playing in bars late at night. Sometimes sitting in the studio recording. Sometimes playing in churches, although not that often. But always seeking to understand how who he was could be applied to a transcendent cause in the world around him. So he was capturing the transcendent cause and getting a glimpse of who he was that allowed him to ask better questions. I have another friend who is the chief operating officer of a heavy equipment manufacturing company. He's very good at it. He's a good strategist. He's he's bright. He manages well. And he would tell you his calling is not heavy equipment. He's, He's good at it. He likes it just fine. If he took an aptitude test, he'd score very well in this sort of thing. That's what they tell him to do. His calling is not heavy equipment. His calling is not even management. His calling is not operations. It's his job. His calling, as, as I see it and as I've watched him, his calling is to, as a leader, engage other people one-on-one in their lives in such a way that more comes out of their lives than they thought was possible. He has the ability to bring the best out of people. That, I think, is his calling. And so, wherever he's been, because he's been in all sorts of different jobs, wherever he's been, he's tried to live out of that. He's tried to live out of who God has made him to be and how that can have a difference in the world. Whether he And he would do that, whether or not he's doing heavy equipment or whether or not he's teaching in a high school. It wouldn't matter. That would be the heart of his calling. You see, like he, he and I in some ways are so very different. I, I want to say this in such a way. I hope you'll understand what I'm saying. We use calling su- either subtly or dramatically different at Warehouse than I've heard it used in other places. But So let me say this. My calling is not to be a pastor. It's not. It's what I've done. One of the things I've done, I've also done other things. You know, like like I've had kids and had a wife and friendships. I mean, my life is not that. It's something I've done, and it's been an important part of my life. But it's not my calling. It's the vocation that God has given me to do for these last 25 years. My calling is different. My calling gets applied wherever I am. And what I've discovered, no matter where I've been, that my calling is not like his. My friend's calling is one-on-one. He wades into people's lives and he brings things out of them. I do far better when there's lots of people. My calling is to broadcast. It's what I do. Now, how I got there is semi-interesting. You can be the judge, but I'll, I'll deal with that later. But I've struggled, really, I've struggled with this over years, trying to understand this, exactly what am I called to do? And what I've realized over the years is it's not my vocation. I am the man that God made me to be, or probably to put it more correctly, I'm becoming the man God made me to be. And the more I understand that, the more I understand how I live my calling out well. You see, I would say I'm a better pastor than I was 15 years ago because I better understand what my calling is. And on the other hand, what it's not. Calling is not simple. But it's for you. It is found in that place of believing there is a transcendent cause that God has given you. And then discovering who you are. And then it begins to flow. And one of the ways it flows is by actually jumping in. That's a lot of where you discover it. What I want to show you, we've done a, a, a video on Kids Warehouse, and I want to show it to you in just a minute, because what's interesting about it, I think, is the three people you hear talking, I don't want to speak for them, but as I watch it and as I've seen that, I'd say, it's not that, they, they wouldn't say, I don't think, that their calling is to be in Kids Warehouse. However, what they have found is that that is an opportunity that God has placed before them, and as they've served there, they've seen themselves used for a transcendent cause. I want to show this to you, give you a little bit of example of how they serve, and then talk to you about what that means for you. We are, and so we wanted to serve because we knew that's what we wanted to do, but we also knew that's how, in the structure of a body at church, that's what you're called to do. And so, I just naturally float towards kids, and I love teaching kids and hanging out with them. And so, that's why I wanted to serve in Kids Warehouse. And so, I think that's how it's impacted my faith that I was actually able to plug in and serve and lean into other people's lives even though they're three and four years old, that it really does make a difference and I can share my faith with them. I think the one thing I hope is that they always walk away knowing that there's somebody to listen to them, that God's always with them in their heart, and their mind. And so whenever they find themselves in any kind of situation, whether it's a joyful situation or a sad one, that you know they can praise God, they can ask God for help, uh, they can thank Him. I would hope that they learn... Um, who Christ is, and that he loves them, and that they um, would feel that they could approach an adult and talk about that at any time. I think all three of those express pretty well that sense of understanding there's a transcendent cause. You can have an impact in actual people's lives. But this is what I think is fascinating. I think, I'm going to be really blunt, you could spend most of your life asking this question. Oh, what am I called to do? And as Americans, because our options are unlimited seemingly, we do a lot of hand-wringing over things that keeps us absolutely paralyzed. I'm not saying it's a bad question. I'm just saying it's a question that can end up dominating your life. So what am I called to do? I don't know. And you never actually engage anywhere. One of the ways you discover your calling is you believe there's a transcendent cause, you engage. As you engage, you discover who you are and what, how you're wired and how God uses you and you feel yourself being moved into places and you see impact. And then it may be the first place you engage isn't the thing, but it's still useful. But out of that, you discover more of who you're called to be. You know, most of us who, who have been seeking to understand our calling for years have tried all sorts of things. I, laugh in just a moment, I used to believe that my calling was going to be I would be a counselor because I would be this empathetic person who would sit down and listen to people for hours about their problems. I mean, oh my goodness, where did I get that notion? And you know how I discovered it wasn't my calling? I did counseling. So now, when somebody calls Warehouse and they want to meet with me, I'll say, normally, I, I meet with you once, but I'm not trying to sort of sh- shovel you aside, but I'd like you to get help <laughs> rather than hurt. And so, I'm just not very good at it. And I, I don't, it's not its not me. It's not its not who God made me, but I tried it. And, and a lot of you are discovering your calling and getting that real sweet spot is you engage. You dive in. You can stand on the sidelines all your life asking the question. I encourage you to engage The cause, engage in people's lives, try things. Then you'll see more of who your calling is. Standing on the outside taking tests is not going to do it. You will find it in the midst of engagement. All right, so I'm I'm reviewing now. So let's say you go, okay, we miss significance sometimes because we think significance is found in the wrong places. Well, let's say we get that. Oh, no, no, I understand. It's not sex, money, and power. It's transcendent cause. It's connecting with real people's lives and being used by God to make a difference in people, people around me. Okay, i say I get that. And number two, I'll say I get, okay, I believe I have a calling. There's there's something before me. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a greater sense of that. Well, then you become t- to the third potential obstacle, which is a, a huge one. It's the one we're going to look at Moses dealing with. And it's, it's this. It, am, I, am I enough? I believe there's a transcendent cause. I believe actually I'm being led towards something, but do I have what it takes to make an impact in the world around me? Am I enough? One of the buzzwords of academia and popular culture in the last 30 years or so has been empowerment. Where do we find power and voice? Do we get excluded from power? Do we have a voice in the world? And this sort of question often resonates in us. Do I really have a voice? Do I have anything to say? I believe there's a cause. Can I offer anything? It's the question Moses deals with. I'm going to look at this passage with you. It's in Exodus chapter 4, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background in case you have not been here. And, And I know most of you weren't here last week because of the great blizzard of 2010. I can't help it. I'm from upstate New York. I mean, it's really... We shut down because it might snow. (laughs) Anyway, we were here. It was a little bit sketchy, I admit. There was freezing rain, and I don't blame you. And it sounds terrible. I was in Hilton Head. It just happened, okay? My daughter had a gymnastics meet. It just happened. I wasn't trying to escape the great blizzard of 2010. However, the conditions were horrible. Freezing rain is, I mean, ice is very difficult to drive on. So lots of you weren't here. I encourage you to listen to Kurt's talk. And because he'll talk a little bit about how God uses not only who we are, but some of our brokenness in order to make us useful in the world around us. Anyway, if you haven't been with all of this, Moses, again, burning bush, God said, Hey, I got, I got something I want you to go do. And, and Moses was like, Okay, this sounds like a great idea. And this is like his first response. Okay, go deliver the people of Israel who were in slavery out of Egypt and give them their own country. Awesome. And then God says, I want, I want you to do it. And Moses begins arguing. And one of the arguments he says is, well, what if nobody listens to me? And so uh, the passage we're about to come to, what God does is he goes, okay, here, two tricks I'm going to give you. If people start to doubt you, throw your staff down, turns it into a snake, pick it up by the tail, by the tail, and it turns back into a staff. Boom, that'll work. If that doesn't work, here, take your hand, put it in your cloak. Comes out leprous. Ah, put it back in, comes back out. It's fine. Try these, really. These two things, people will think you got something. And then God says, in this, uh, in this passage, it's like, if that's not enough, and I'm in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, chapter 4 and verse 9, but if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, I mean, God's really taking this to heart. Most really, I'm, 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 I'm there for you. If they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it in the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood in the ground. This ought to work. Seriously. It's a great trick. You take water, just water it you up. Know, it's blood. I mean, people are going to be impressed. They're going to listen to you. And I think God at this point thinks, okay, Moses, I've given you some backup here. You know, I've got a mission for you. I'm calling you into it, and I'm giving you backup. And then Moses says, Oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I like how that's phrase, like, you know, even now, you know, it hasn't changed here. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And I think he's going like, okay, those are great tricks. Sure, I can turn water into blood, but I'm not a good public speaker. And so... I'm not sure this is going to work. And God goes, Okay, let me, just follow Follow me here, Moses. Who gave man his mouth? Me. Who makes him deaf or mute? Me. Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is not I the Lord? Now go. Moses, water, blood, I, I will give you what to speak. I'll tell you what to say. You'll be fine. I'm the God of the universe. Trust me. And now, Finally, we actually get to Moses' problem. He's been throwing all sorts of smoke screens out there. Oh, what if they ask what your name is? That was my favorite. What if they ask what your name is? You know, because I'm sure they're going to ask that. Well, now we get to his actual issue. Moses said, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. There's no more arguments. There's no more this or that. There's no more questions to answer. God's answered every question. And it just comes down to this God, please. Anybody. I don't care. Don't send me. I don't want to do this. Why? See, it, it's kinda it is kind of funny, isn't it? But then now let's back it up. We are made for transcendence. We are made for a life of significance. We often long to discover what our place is in that. Moses has it hand delivered. Moses, here is your significance. I call you. I'm going to go with you all the way in doing this. Now go. Discover your place of significance and transcendence in this world. And Moses ought to go, yes. But there's part three of the problem, which is, but God, not me. What if I fail? I'm not really distrusting you, but I think you're wrong. I don't have what it takes, I don't have the power, I don't have the gifts. It's like what Kurt was saying. You go, I mean, it would be easy to go back and look at the record of our lives and say, look at, look at all the places I failed. What if I fail now? You see, it's not a job. Being, having a calling and accepting that is a terrifying thing. Because at that moment, you're living beyond yourself and what you do actually matters. It's not about whether somebody compares you more favorably to somebody else. You're engaging in something that has life-changing consequences. And so if you're a sentient being, if you're thinking and awake at all, you're somewhat afraid because you know yourself and you realize if you fail, people get hurt. If you're not slightly terrified of calling, you're not paying enough attention. Because calling means being involved And something beyond yourself that makes a difference. And we look at ourselves and go, How do I know I got it? I have screwed things up before. I'd really rather not screw this one up. I really didn't want to be a speaker. I mean, not like a little bit, I really did. And I told God this I do not want to do this. And I said it in ways that if I said it to you, you'd think I was a real wuss because I I really didn't want to do it. I mean, it was almost one of those things were sort of like Moses there saying, please, God, don't, not me, please. I do not want to do this. And I sort of had to. And then for a good five or six years, every time I got to speak, I, I would really, it was like this. I said, God, you this was your idea. I never wanted to do this. What happens if I screw this up. You know, if I talk to one person and I mess it up, okay, I screwed up one person's life. If I talk to 500, I really didn't want to do it because I was afraid I would be terrible at it. And there's enough in my background there's enough voices I hear about not being good enough, not having enough, not being powerful enough, strong enough, bright enough. There's enough in my background to tell me, well, you have every right to be afraid. Martin Luther, who was a reformer, he didn't, you know, I mean, really, we still remember him. We got a whole denomination named after him. You know, he started the Reformation. You know, he was a big deal. Before he spoke, he had this prayer that he, he gave. And I'll, I'll do it, you know, I'm not going to do it in the language he did when he was German. But even even in the translated sort of King James language we have, and essentially what he would say, he'd talk about, oh, what a great and glorious task. And his last line paraphrased was, oh, God, please do not let me screw it up. Seriously, go uh, Google. Sacrifice, Martin Luther's sacristy prayer. Basically, what he says, is, don't let me bring it all to ruin. Please don't let me screw this whole thing up, because he had some sense that if you get involved in people's lives, that it actually matters. You know, when Kurt sits down with people, because people flock to Kurt, Kurt is extremely good one on one with people. When people come to Kurt, Kurt feels a sense of responsibility. He's not giving them advice about a restaurant to go to. They're asking him questions about their lives. And so, one of the pressing questions on your life will be, as you start to wade in, is, do I have enough? And the answer I would give you is the same answer that God gives Moses. Moses. Who made the mouth? The one who's calling you is the one who will empower you. And here's the way I want you to think of it. Here, you know, it's interesting. I'm not going to read the last part of this passage, but it's really fascinating. After Moses says, "Please no," God, it says God's mad. He is. He says his anger burned against Moses. He goes, "Fine, your brother Aaron. He can speak. You think you need a public speaker? Take Aaron. Okay, he'll go. You know, I'm, you'd still you're on the hook, but you talk to him and he'll talk to the people. Fine. All right, just take him. He condescends to Moses. Why? Because God wants us to succeed at calling. You see, one of the reasons we believe that we lack what it takes is because we believe we're being sent on a mission that's of our own doing, and what if we get it wrong? God, as Kurt said, the way we frame it is God looks at us as our pride and joy. Do you really believe that what God did is he's got real things that need to be done in the world, he's going to call you into it, and then he's going to go back and go, oh man, I can't believe you messed that up. He who calls you empowers you. He sends you forth. He promises to go with you. There's a song by... I I think the way I've heard it is Michael Stipe singing it, but Joseph Arthur wrote the song. And in various versions, Michael Stipe, Chris Martin, and Joseph Arthur sing on it. And it's called In the Sun. And it has this line that just rings in my head. And it's a very simple line. May God's love be with you always. And to me, when you get through all the questions... The heart of the Christian life and the heart of calling is is this prayer, God be with me. And what I'd say to you, may you know the presence of God with you always because when you know the presence of God then you know the love of God and when you know the love of God you know He does not shove you out on limbs to see you fail. He shaped you for impact. He calls you in space and time to actual people's lives and He will give you the power to do everything that He calls you to do. At the end of the day, calling is about you and God. He's called you to himself, to a relationship with him. He's called you to impact. At the end of the day, calling is about you and God. He calls you into a transcendent cause. He says he will show you where to go forth. He says he will shape you into the person you're called to be. And he says he will give you power the last words related to Jesus to the people on earth is, then I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Now go. My prayer is for each one of us that we would look at the heart of God for us and look at the world around us and go, God will be with me always. Now I'll go. Let's pray. Lord, we struggle, we know rightfully with issues of calling. And it's complicated (laughs) We'd like it to be easier. And yet life is fluid and dynamic because we're not robots. I pray for this community, for us, that you would invest us with a sense of purpose that's true, that you would help us to push aside as replacements for significance things that quite simply won't give it to us. I pray that you would deliver to each one of us a true sense of, of who we are and how we're called to impact the world around us and give us great contentment with that place. I pray you will show us if we're in the wrong place and move us to the right one. And I pray that in those moments of quiet when we wonder the deep questions that we hear in our head from all sorts of voices, that we would hear yours louder saying, you are enough. I have made you and I send you. I will give you power, everything you need for the moment. Let that resonate and become the loudest voice in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we move into this back end of our service, my, my prayer really is that for every one of us, we would have a clean sense of God speaking to us. That we would believe that people like you and I can make a difference in the world. That those images would rise to our head as we hear these words. And even as we take the offering here, What we take this offering because we really believe and we want to believe at a deeper level that things that are true in us, that God calls us to give them out, and as we give them out, people's lives actually change. You see, we bring in money, and we believe that as we bring in money, and we use together our resources as people, who we are, our talents, our gifts, that when we pool those together, that God will empower us and allow us to do far beyond what we thought we could ever do individually or even as a community of 600.